Friends, would you stand with me as we read the scriptures taken this morning from Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. Again, listen now to the Lord's word. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Amen. Would you please be seated? This morning we're looking at just one verse. You might be surprised that one verse sometimes takes as long as ten verses. Again, Proverbs 29:18. Listen to this. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Without a doubt, you've heard this verse before. Uh, oftentimes this verse is quoted just before a, uh, a session, a, a board of elders uh, would begin a building program. We want to cast a vision for you so that you can see what we're seeing so that we can sell you on this idea, right? Uh, kind of like Field of Dreams. You, if you build it, they will come kind of thing. Sometimes it's, it's to promote a ministry that they want to kick off or an evangelistic effort. At least this is how, coming from the Midwest, this is how I've usually heard this verse quoted. We know pastors and elders, leaders, come up with innovative plans, a new way of seeing and doing something. They cast a vision of what God is going to do and how he's going to bless what they want to do. And that's why I've called this uh, dream theology. If, if you can dream it, they will, they will do it. As I was meeting this week, nominations have come in for elders and, and deacons, and I've begun talking. Uh, the session will be examining them, and I'm talking to potential nominees, or nominees, uh, potential elders and deacons, and it's focusing me to say, what is the church about? And of course, if you can dream it, you can do it. Um, however, I think it's a very dangerous use of that verse. And, and it's not the way that verse should be handled. And apparently, I'm not alone. As, as I was preparing this, Tim Challies in 2005 wrote an article which, with quotes from some big evangelical names. And I will avoid using those names, uh, names, but I wanted to read to you some of the comments people use to support what they're doing regarding this verse. One, one big evangelical pastor said, my imagination influences my aspiration. In other words, your dreams determine your destiny. To accomplish anything, you must have a mission, a goal, a hope, a vision. Without a vision, the people perish. He goes on, another uh, megachurch um, model says, all memorable achievements were brought about by leaders who had vision. God uses visions to excite leaders because excited leaders get the most out of followers. Active followers accomplish much, and Christ's body keeps going, getting bigger uh, thanks to prevailing local churches. That is why Proverbs 29:18 clearly states, where there is no vision, the people perish. Let a leader grasp a godly vision and then watch God work. Here's another, a well-known one. Proverbs 29.18 says, Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. They can't focus, can't reach their goal, can't follow their dream. An older translation says, Without vision, the people perish. I've seen it with my own eyes. Without vision, people lose their vitality that makes them feel alive. Another says, In the workbook section of Transitioning, a textbook for leading a church from a program-driven 
to a purpose-driven model, this man examines visions in the light of Proverbs 29:18, suggesting that we should interpret this verse in the present tense to read, where there is no visioning, people perish. And again, one pastor from South Bend, Indiana, quoting this passage, writes, without a planned destination, no one knows where to go. In churches, that leads to people doing ministry without a purpose. Programs drive these churches because no one has determined where the church is going. A vision statement paints a picture of the ideal future of your ministry and focuses prayer, energy, and resources. What is this vision these church leaders are referring to? This man defines vision as a picture of what God wants to do. Vision is a picture of what God will do in his church if we get out of his way and turn him loose to do so. This man says vision is a picture of the future that produces passion. And Tim Chalice says this, Vision, according to these authors, is an integral part of church leadership. A leader who does not cast and follow vision leads his church toward destruction. The word to the people perish is often interpreted by proponents of church growth to mean that churches without clear vision will lose members and be unable to numerically grow and flourish. But is this conclusion supported by this verse? The answer is no, not at all. In fact, while they twist the scriptures to advance their kingdoms, they have done injury to society, to the church, and her witness in the world. How, you ask? They have perverted the, mean, uh, the meaning rather, of this verse and have not promoted the true meaning of this verse. So let me draw back and give you a bigger picture. You'll notice that the way the verse was handled by those men that I quoted, it's that vision is synonymous with my dreams and my inspirations and aspirations. And so if you want to help the church, you come up with a vision and then you get out of the way and God will satisfy, fulfill, your dreams and your aspirations. That's the way this verse is being used. Not unlike the prosperity theology that we see in plaguing the American church today. What does the verse mean? What does it actually mean? Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Some of you may be saying, well, well, what is the vision? What is the Lord's vision for the church? I will get into that in just a bit. There need and is a need for a vision. But that vision is not coming from between my ears. But what is the vision? People have a need for something outside of themselves. This is true. What is this vision that people need? Is it pictures, slogans, ball caps, and banners? Is it a plan, a model? Uh, People do need direction, but is this what it is? Is it me coming up with a dream? Is it me having a passion? Is, is, that, is that what makes a church float, grow, excel? Pastor's got a vision. He's got a tattoo on this arm, and he's got a Starbucks in this hand. He's got a vision. He's courageous. This is, this is what's being spawned. And, and by the way, when we pursue that path in that manner, what we're doing is, is we're selling a business. 
And so what is the vision for the Lord's church? What should it be? Listen to this, this word, vision. Uh, the New King James Version talks about the prophetic vision. The NIV speaks of revelation. Walter Kaiser, uh, a tremendous Old Testament scholar, says that, that vision is a message from or attention to the word of God. So let me read this verse again, giving you the definition that I just gave you from Walter Kaiser. Again, that it's a, prof a prophetic a message from or attention to the word of God. Where there is no prophetic word, where there is no message from God, the people are unrestrained. That puts a different twist on that verse, doesn't it? Rather than where their pastor doesn't have a vision or where the pastor doesn't have a passion, the people will perish. Again, where there is no prophetic word, where there is no message from God, the people are unrestrained. I'll give you an example here, uh, 1 Samuel 3.1. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. Notice how the writer there of 1 Samuel says the word from the Lord and visions are rare, they're infrequent, they're synonymous. This is how the Lord spoke to them. We're told in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways in these last days, has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. Friends, the Lord no longer speaks to us in visions and dreams. We have the word of God. He speaks to us in the word of God. I know I shared this with you before. Forgive me. Um, a lady comes into the church office back when we were in Miami and she goes Holy Spirit told me I don't have to submit to my husband and I said to her rightly that's funny because the Holy Spirit told me you do have to submit to your husband and I opened her up to Ephesians chapter 5 we have people who are supplanting the word of God with their guts, with their feelings, with their emotions, with their dreams, with the aftermath of a bad tamale, whatever it might be, and their experiences, they're not listening to the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord has been shown to us in Jesus Christ. We have the word of the prophets and of the apostles given to us. The Lord used to speak through dreams and through visions. In these latter days, he has spoken to us through his son, Jesus Christ. And so people say, God inspired me to do this. I'm always, and I know people don't always mean what they say, but I think we have to be very careful about these things. Within, within the scriptures, within the structure of the scriptures, you can have a good idea. And you don't have to say, God gave me this idea. You can just say, it's an idea. We'll get into this more in a bit. But, but notice how the Lord speaks to us. He speaks to us through his words. Prophets spoke what was spoken to them. Sometimes they did speak and people didn't listen. Therefore, God would withhold his word. Amos 8, 11 through 12 says, Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine for bread or a thirst for water, but rather for hearing the words of the Lord. People will stagger from sea to sea and from the north even to the east. They will go to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they will not find it. 
There is a need for the word of the Lord, a need both to hear it, to have it, and a need to heed what it says. When it is given, we must hear it and we must obey. But today, people, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, lean upon their own understanding. But today, people do that which seems right in their own eyes, Proverbs 14 to 12. But today, people trust in their own hearts, Proverbs 28, 26. That's not the way the Lord's people are supposed to do it. Listen, if you would, please turn over to Jeremiah. I'm going to read some verses to you from Jeremiah 23. And we read this in verses 17 through 22 and then 25 through 32. We read, They keep saying to those who despise me, The Lord has said you will have peace. And as for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord, that he should see and hear his word? Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out the purpose of his heart. In the last days you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied, but if they had stood in my counsel, then they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from the evil way and from the evil of their deeds. And then in verse 25 through 32, we read, I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy falsely in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood, even these prophets of the deception of their own heart? who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal? The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and related them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people the slightest benefit, declares the Lord. It goes on today. It goes on today. The very same things are happening today. I have a vision. The Lord told me this is what should be going on. What should the minister be preaching? What should the minister be saying? What should the elders be doing? This is what we should. I solemnly charge you, for 2 Timothy 4, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. J.A. Mott, a wonderful Old Testament commentator, said this, Have we got a Bible still in our hands? Let us prize it, read it, and commit its precious truths to heart and mind. It is not an inalienable possession. It may not be ours forever. 
Is the Bible still preached in your church? Let us love to hear the word of God. Let us be urgent to bring others within earshot of it. It is not our guaranteed privilege. The voice of the preacher could be silenced. Friends, the word of God is a great blessing. And what he has revealed in his word, that word and message brought by his servants is so vital to life and not only your life, but also to the culture and to society as a whole, as we'll see. There is most certainly a consequence. So the vision is a prophetic word. It is the word of scripture that the pastor is to bring to you, not a word of his own making or his own imagination. The pastor can be a creative man, but he must never be creative with the word of God. That's not what we do. There is a consequence for not having a vision. And what is it? Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. Some translations, like the King James, says where there is no vision, the people perish. Which is it? Is it unrestrained or is it perish? Perish implies that we wander away and die in the process. Again, this isn't what is being said. Those without the word, those without the vision, are unrestrained. The meaning of being unrestrained means to be cast off restraint. They become unbridled or lawless. They cast off all moral restraint. So think of the golden calf. We're told in Exodus 32.25, Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a derision among the enemies. The idea of the verb to cast off, said Walter Kaiser, is to cast off all restraint, it's loosening or uncovering. uncovering. In this context, it would appear, he says, there was a type of religious prostitution connected with the people's worship of the golden calf. And so what happens when there is no vision? What happens when there is no prophetic word? What happens when the pastor or pastors or churches no longer say, thus saith the Lord? What happens is that people, um, they cast off what the Lord has said. When the word of God is not kept before the church, when the word of God is not kept before a culture, people cast off moral restraint. Now, let me ask you, if you were to look at the moral restraint of the United States of America, or the lack thereof today, would you conclude that we're overdoing it with Bible instruction? You wouldn't. We've pursued the American dream, the vision of an America, but we have not heeded the prophetic word, the word of God, the word contained in these 66 books. And so it is what we have reaped, what we have not sown. We have not sown the word, and we are reaping destruction in our land. And so... People do end up doing whatever they want. And we must understand uh, the importance of the word for society. 
Again, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, how does he phrase it? He says this, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. But in Judges, we read, in those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. So when there is no prophetic word, people cast off moral restraint. The Christian who reflects Jesus Christ brings that light, that salt, into the culture But when pastors no longer are bringing the word of God from the pulpit, what happens to the church and what happens to the Christian? And so sometimes from this pulpit it sounds heavy. It sounds weighty. Like I need to go get some fun in my life and you need to lighten up. But if I did that, what would happen to you? And then what happens to Lander? And then what happens to the region? You understand, church isn't just something we do on a Sunday morning. This is a portal of heaven where we lift up Jesus Christ and you come from the world and and you're, you're sitting under the word and the word is brought to bear and you go out into the world. And when that doesn't happen, when the prophetic word is not given and scattered into your lives, you go away and the world colors you in and influences you and not you influencing the world with the gospel and with the truth of Christ. Without the prophetic word, people are unrestrained. I understand the unregenerate man not liking or wanting the things of God, not wanting his word or his law, and so he casts it off to do whatever he wants, Open marriage, no marriage at all, lusts and various appetites. This is what we see taking place now in our culture. And is it any wonder that we are going mad in our world? We more and more suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And our Judeo-Christian country is uh, is not all that Judeo-Christian any longer. Um, You heard about the, the results of the elections this past Tuesday. They codified abortion in Ohio. Unthinkable, unthinkable. But that's where we are, friends. And they say it's going to be coming to other states in the Union. We have, as a society, thrown off and shut down God's truth and do uh, instead whatever we want. And so all of the things we see. We need to remove the Ten Commandments from public. People say, I disagree completely. I disagree completely, and I'm I'm overgeneralizing here, but the church has become apologetic for speaking the word of the Lord and promises to not offend in lieu of your bodies and bucks sitting in the pews. The church preaches a vision of their making, of their dreaming, and has become soft and silent in regard to the Lord and his word. And the church and society then suffer for it 
because we run away from God and end up hurting ourselves and grieving him. There is no morality. Uh, The homes are falling apart all because there was not a prophetic word. My friends, there is blessing. There is blessing in obedience to the Lord. Listen again to the tail end of this proverb. Where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained, but happy is he who keeps the law. Happy or blessed. When we walk in the Lord's way, when we obey him, there is blessing in the way of the Lord. Listen to Psalm 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. There is blessing and happiness in the way of the Lord, living in the light of his word and in his ways, following his law, following his wisdom's instruction, obeying divine revelation as given to us in the Bible. My friends, these things come under attack and people belittle them. We talked last week about the influence or the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Here's Jesus performing all these wonderful and miraculous things and they're saying it's not quite enough. Why doesn't he do just a little bit more? Always casting a stain or a doubt at the Lord. And we see this very thing today. Oh, they're those Bible thumpers. Oh, they're legalists. Oh, I don't like it when you talk to me that way. So I'd like you to stop talking to me that way. And we fall prey and say, okay. And we go silent. Tonight, as we get into Acts chapter 14, we see this marvelous, wonderful example of our forefathers, of Paul and Barnabas in the early church, how in the face of persecution, they don't stop. They don't stop, and they mustn't stop. Why? Because people need the Lord. And if they die in their sins, what is their only expectation? To perish forever in hell under the wrath and curse of God. There is blessing and happiness in the way of the Lord. The irony, we have people say that they are happy and they are gay who live contrary to God's revelation. Are they really, friend? (laughs) No one, no one is ever happy when they're in rebellion against God. No one is. Those who throw off the roles of husbands and wife and parent and child and who, who throw off work for entertainment, they're not happy. There was an article that came out some years ago from the New York Times, and it created outrage, and the title of of it was, Religious Women Are Happier in Marriage. (gasps) Why would this be so? It's because the word of God is revealed, instructing us who he is and what he wants, what is right, the way in which we are to live. The word informs us. It informs society. When, when spoken and heeded, there is a peacefulness and an order, a blessing to it. 
But when we suppress the truth with unrighteousness, when we stifle the word going forward, when we remove the ability to speak and punish those who do, there is chaos, there is disorder, and everyone does what is, what is right in their own eyes, whatever they want, whatever they feel, whatever they dream, there is sorrow and there is hardship. It's really easy. We were created to have a relationship with the Almighty. He has ordered this universe to work a certain way. He has ordered this earth to work a certain, a certain way. He has in the garden given mandates, things that he wants from us. And when we go against the Almighty, you lose. It's very simple. And yet, what do we see in our culture? I will not submit to Jesus Christ. I will not submit to the Almighty. You will not tell me what I should be doing. Are they happy? Was Cain happy when he disobeyed the Lord? He was not. And he would blame, take it out, unable, but he was not happy because his relationship with the Lord had gone south because he would not obey what the Lord said to do. You've heard it said, you can't legislate morality. Yes, you can. Every time I see a speed limit sign, my morality is legislated. <laughs> my foot comes up off the gas pedal just a little, so I'm within the speed limit. Every time I pay, uh, make my water bill payment to the city of Lander after the 20th, they remind me that they want their money before the 20th and they slap a $10 fine on me. Yes, you can legislate morality. I think what people mean is that you can't change hearts with the law. And I would agree, you can't change their hearts, but what you can do is expose their sin. The law exposes sin and shows us our need of the Lord. Without God's word, without his witness in your life and in this world, we throw off all constraint and indulge our flesh. The one who perfectly obeys will be perfectly blessed and perfectly happy. Of course, you say, but nobody does perfectly obey. And this is why you and I need a savior. This is why we need a savior. This is why our savior came, that in him we might be blessed and might be truly happy. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4 and listen to verses 1 through 8. The apostle writes, What then shall we say that Abraham our forefather according to the flesh has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. There's the blessing. There's the blessing. That's how we secure it. Again, the scriptures are very plain. Happy is he who keeps the law, and not a one of us has kept the law except Jesus Christ. 
And so like Abraham the believer, we look to Christ and in Christ we are blessed because he kept the law in our stead. So I told you I was going to tell you what is the vision then of Grace Reform Fellowship? What is this pastor's vision according to the scriptures? It is that which the Lord has told us. Here's the vision. What should you be focusing upon as a congregation? My friends, to look upon the word made flesh, to see Jesus Christ high and exalted and believe upon him. That's the vision the scripture gives us. That you would bring your lives under his reign, conforming to his every command, working out your salvation with fear and trembling. So ask yourself this, am I a believer? Am I resting in Jesus Christ? What, am I looking to, 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 to build an empire for myself? Not at all. What I would desire and what I think the scriptures put forth, the prophetic word of God is, repent and believe the gospel and you will be saved. That Jesus Christ is into building his church, one convert at a time. And so we look to Christ, we believe about Christ, and then we repent of our sin and we turn away from everything that doesn't align with what our Savior wants. So we conform to his every command, and as Paul would say, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. So dear brothers and sisters, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. That's the vision the scriptures give for us. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the scriptures instruct. Husbands, love your wives as Christ has loved the church and gave his life up for her. Wives, submit to your husbands as is proper, as is what the church is to do to the Lord. Parents, love your children. Discipline your children. Train them to know the Lord. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is pleasing to the Lord. Think generationally, friends. Don't think about your 60 or 70 years on earth. We had some friends travel over to Europe and they saw these magnificent cathedrals that were built over centuries. And you think about it, one man goes to work for his entire life laying stones and then he dies and his son picks up and continues to build the same wall that his grandfather, his father was building and his grandfather, they're thinking generationally. We have to think generationally, not building a fiefdom for the, for the pastor the biblical vision is that we train our children, we raise up others who will know the Lord. Walk in holiness before your family. Walk in holiness before your friends. Walk in holiness. Be holy as the Lord is holy, says Peter. Walk in holiness before your co-workers. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, which is the habit of some. But all the more as you see the day drawing near, Spur one another on to love and good deeds. Be able and willing to give an account for the hope you have within you. Desire and pray that others would come to embrace Jesus Christ and become his worshipers and that we would make disciples. Pray for the fullness of God's people to come in until that final day when Jesus Christ returns where we together all will glorify and enjoy him forever. We're not looking to cast a vision 
of bigger buildings, satellite campuses, books and names and tours and conferences. We're looking to see the church and kingdom of Jesus Christ advance. And how you fit into that is by submitting yourself to Jesus Christ and what he says and leading in your homes, living in your private lives to honor Christ. That's the vision for the church. Let's pray. We thank you, Father, again for your word, and we thank you, Father, for those who have gone before. We thank you, Father, that you you help us in our weakness. We confess to you, Lord, we are weak and we are inundated so often by the things of this world that we lose sight of the very things you call us to. And we look at the world with all of its glitz and its glamour and we ask ourselves, what are we doing? And yet, Father, our work is to do your work and not you to do our work. We pray, Father, that we would be faithful, faithful to the Lord Jesus who gave his life for us and is our king, that we would be faithful to lead in our homes and to love our wives, our children, to love our neighbors, that we would be faithful to open our mouths and speak when you provide those opportunities. We ask, Father, that you would open doors for your gospel and pray that you would bring many people to saving faith in Jesus Christ and that you would help them and help us to be those faithful disciples and witnesses until that day he returns. We come to you in weakness and again pray, O Lord, that in spite of our weakness, you will advance your kingdom Indeed, we believe that you are doing this and have done this as we have seen how throughout the centuries the church has suffered and yet it continues to grow. We praise your name that you will not be conquered, but you have conquered and are doing so moment by moment. We thank you for this and again for your faithfulness to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.